Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. China Perspective. Money FM 89.3. Time now to discuss some key headlines out of China. Well, tourism spending in China during the Lunar New Year period jumped above pre-COVID levels. Yeah, you've got domestic tourism spending uh, hit almost 88 billion U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. So that's about 47% more compared to the same holiday period last year if we're going by the official government figures. And then there was a surge in outbound travel from China as well, hit back at hype up by media outlets that attributed to the global tourism slump to a decline in Chinese travelers. So is this good news for policymakers? Let's find out more. Dr. O.A. Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs, is on the line with us. Dr. Oh, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm rushing from the airport to a function, wow, <laughs> as <yeah>. usual. <laughs> Jet-setting man. Okay. Uh, Dr. Oh, let's talk a little bit about these tourism revenues in China during the Chinese New Year holidays. Uh, so this one ended Saturday, jumped by 47.3% year-on-year, surpassing 2019 levels. According to data from the government, official data that is, Beijing grappling with a couple of issues right now, property market crisis, weak exports, inflation. So this, of course, would be good news from a policymaker point of view. Well, indeed, any such uh, positive news would be good news, right? But of course, uh, we need to keep in mind uh, at least two things. Number one, China did not sort of officially open up until after the last Chinese New Year last year. So there's a lot of, uh, shall we say, pent-up desire and demand for travel. Well, it expressed itself in this uh, high volume of domestic travel. But why domestic as opposed to, let's say, foreign travels? Mm-hmm. Well, probably because in recent years, of course, China have become not so good friends with a lot of Western countries. And uh, so a lot of this tourism, which would otherwise go to uh, some other countries now, they do it domestically. And then there's also, of course, uh, the economy is not doing so well. So perhaps you can't afford to go outside the country as much as you would like as before. Yeah. Now, speaking of outbound travel from China, Doctor, we have seen countries around Southeast Asia or around Asia, for that matter, who have put up visa waiver programs for Chinese tourists to enter, hoping to attract them. And it looks like it's working. I was in Bangkok over the weekend and there were a lot of Chinese tourists, almost a pre-pandemic kind of tourism activity there over the Chinese Lunar New Year period. Oh, yeah. I mean, Singapore and Malaysia are also having such uh, programs, right? Well, all of us would, of course, welcome Chinese uh, tourists. They are, shall we say, very generous uh, spenders. Uh, But, uh, of course, um, there are different, uh, shall we say, strategies of uh, Chinese uh, overseas travelers. Uh, Typically, uh, those who come to this part of the world... uh, they are from, shall we say, the more interior part of uh, China, whereas those from Shanghai and so on typically prefer to go to Western countries here. Yeah. Dr. Oh, uh, can we talk a little bit about the foreign direct investment data that was out, uh, the lowest since 1993? So how should we read this data? What's a policy whole, uh, policymaker going to do when, when you look at this, you know, the lowest in three decades, I'd assume? The world is slowly splitting into, a, shall we say, U.S.-led economy and, and on the other hand, a China-led economy and with uh, very little interactions uh, between the two. So, well, all this are very much uh, politically 
motivated. Uh, a lot of high-tech products nowadays, uh, you could not manufacture them in China, and those high-tech products typically would account for the, a huge amount of investments. So let's see how it goes, the geopolitics uh, going forward over the next few years. Here. Okay, let's talk about aviation, uh, Doctor. It's uh, very exciting here in Singapore at the Singapore Air Show because China's C919 aircraft, uh, made by the Commercial Aircraft Corporation of China, made its first international debut outside of the Chinese um, uh, market. Uh, what does this signal? What does it signify? Well, just like with uh, China's uh, high-speed rail, uh, this sort of commercial uh, aircraft, of course, another side traction because, frankly speaking, it is uh, cheaper mm-hmm. than its uh, European and American counterparts. And therefore, at least the pricing is very attractive to a lot of uh, airlines. But at the moment, it's usually short haul and uh, to medium haul uh, flights because they are not making like larger uh, white body aircrafts yet. Just to follow up on that, Doctor, um, is it significant? Can we read something into this? Because Boeing is not at the Singapore Air Show, but Comac is. <laughs> Boeing is perhaps not pushing out a new model, and it sees no need to actually say exhibit its uh, long-tested models of uh, yesteryears. And Comac, on the other hand, is very eager to push its uh, new uh, jet model. That's why it is here in Singapore. And I'm partly delayed because of the Singapore Air Show, incidentally. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Oh, let's uh, move on to talk about the real estate segment of China. The state-owned lenders have earmarked at least $11.3 billion in loans for property projects eligible for support. Now, these announcements came after Beijing urged local authorities last month to better support the financing needs of developers and draft lists of eligible projects. Uh, I think we spoke briefly about this uh, back then. Your thoughts? on this, how should we put it, uh, sort of like a coordination mechanism in that sense to boost lending? Yeah, number one, uh, there are a lot of these property developers which are at the verge of uh, uh, collapsing and therefore they are in need of uh, more loans uh, in order to tide them over. On the other hand, of course, uh, China is a big country. There's always a big demand for housing. So I think the government is trying to, uh, in a sense, trying to marry these two uh, phenomena. Number one, to urge uh, financial institutions to lend more to the to the developers, and on the other hand, hopefully these uh, housing uh, demands could be met by some of those uh, unsold or half-sold houses and apartments here. All right. And the sector, of course, has long been a driving force behind China's economic growth, accounting, in fact, about 25 percent of GDP. So with policy experts believing that President Xi is empathetic about uh, real estate, should he play? uh, Is he playing a disproportionately large role on this uh, sector? Well, the government is uh, very obviously stepping in, as I said, in order to make sure that the Chinese people's housing demands are, are met at an affordable rate, number one. Number two, that some of these, at least the larger developers, could survive and continue to build uh, housing. Yeah. Dr. Oh, uh, final issue we want to look at, uh, China offering to support long-time strategic partner Hungary. Quite an unusual move, uh, this on public security issues, just as NATO struggles to expand its network in Europe. 
Um, this goes beyond trade and investment. Uh, your thoughts on, you know, how unusual this move is, or, or why uh, this this sort of a move? Well, Hungary is a member of both NATO as well as of uh, EU, but it has a traditional, uh, very intimate relationship with China, mainly because, well, at least for the past 10 years or so, the Hungarian leaders, they, shall we say, they have an authoritarian bent, and they are not in the good books of EU, for example, because there were some issues with them, for example, not having judicial independence and so on. But China, of course, uh, then uh, stepped into the void and tried to fill the, this sort of vacancy. And now it expands to, uh, well, public security, which is policing works. So let's see how it plays out. Dr. Oh, Hungary also happens to be home to Huawei Technologies' largest logistics and manufacturing base outside China. I'm just trying to play into the angle of how Hungary is becoming more important to China. Uh, obviously, the European Commission isn't too happy about this. Uh, your thoughts on what could happen next? I understand Hungary's going to host uh, Chinese car maker BYD's first European factory. Well, Hungary, of course, uh, would be a nice location for, for that. And China's uh, vehicles, and especially Electric vehicles are nowadays uh, very popular around the world. Yeah. So the European market is, of course, one to uh, conquer. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've been speaking with Dr. O. A. Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. As always, Dr. O, appreciate your time. Take care and have a great Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.